Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Hall of Games, episode number 40. I am your host, Josh Gallegos, the video game bard, joined by the casual Jared Benson, the mercenary Benson himself. Jared, how are you doing? How has life been? I know that you have expressed a little bit of frustration with me, uh, but outside of that, are things going all right for you? They're going okay. I feel like this episode of all the episodes that we're going to be doing will really demonstrate how much of a casual I am. <laughs> uh, and uh, But I'm excited to talk about it. And uh, outside of that, though, life is going good. Life is going, it's going fine. You just put your head down to the grindstone, you deal with it, and you shrug your shoulders, hope for the best, and you pray a lot, I think. So, yeah. For sure, for sure. You know, I, and we were talking about the, you know, it seems like there's stagflation going on right now. You're, yep. you're feeling inflation in a lot of different places. And, yep. Um, supply chains are definitely getting better, but that's still kind of a holdover from COVID. And you're seeing things like, I know a couple weeks ago I bought a bag of chips and it was like way less than I remember it being. And that's, you know, you can see inflation in that way. Like maybe not the numbers themselves are going up, but you see it in other things like that. So it hurts, you know? Um, and I think looking at it, I definitely count myself blessed because we, we live in prosperous times. Like honestly, our, our uh, economy for the last 20 or so years, I mean, I know we had a really bad recession midway through the 21st century, but or 21st century thus far, anyway. Um, but all together, like, we we are blessed, you know? And so, or at least we have been, right? Like, we, we've had some good times. And I think having grown up in those times to now face difficulties is something that a lot of us just haven't gone through especially as adults right so that's just something we're getting used to and dealing with and struggling with i try to be grateful and i like like you said you got to pray and uh the dollar you got to stretch it as far as you can these days unfortunately and there's a lot of anger and frustration that i have that uh we could talk about but (laughs) this has been a long time coming um there's a theory i don't remember who told me this but um there is a theory that this person had read about, about how the economy, ever since the Great Depression, since the Federal Reserve was implemented before that, and then the Great Depression thereafter, uh, the idea of Keynesian economics and um, trying to just inject cash and and kind of uh, control an economy like that is only going to lead to eventual crashes. Um, And especially when you don't have the money supply under control, when you're just spending out the wazoo and allowing your deficits to compile into the massive national debt like we have today, the inevitability of that is bad economies. And yeah, we might bounce back here and there, uh, but it just leads to the next crash, right? And then it goes to the next crash. And um, they said it's probably going to be about 10 to 15 crashes. And then that 15th or 10th or whatever it is, is going to be the last one. (laughs) And then it all goes to crap right so who knows um we're in a system that's that's going downhill in a little you know in a lot of different ways so that's just what life is like but i can't help but think that you know we're, we're still very blessed even to be in this country at all and we still have a lot you know there's a a, a mantra of 
thinking about putting yourself in the shoes of people in Africa or people, uh, you know, parts of Asia, just the the underdeveloped parts of the world that don't have as much as we do. And, you know, I mean, get rid of your shoes, get rid of your TV, get rid of AC, uh, get rid of the amount of house that you have. And that's their daily lives, regardless of how well their economy is going. So we still got a lot. And, and it's tough because you, you look at it and you can see how it could be fixed and you you yearn for those prosperous times before, but... Um, it's, it's a, it's a tough time regardless of, of whether, whichever side you land on. But I I try to look at it in some positive light for sure. We are, we are tremendously blessed to be where we are in the world right now. And I I don't think that, I don't think conflating, um, you know, a, a distaste for where we are is a lack of gratitude necessarily. I don't think pointing out a problem means you're ungrateful. I, I simply think that, it's it's true that it's easier to destroy than it is to build. And I'm just nervous that all of the poor decisions leading up to where we are now have have started a, a downward spiral that's going to be impossible to pull out of. We've had a good run in this country of 300 and... Well, what are we at now? Over 300 years, right? Um, um, let's see here. 1776. We're, we're, little, we're like 250. It's like 250-ish. It's almost 300. Pardon me, pardon me. So sub sub 300 and... Uh, um, the, it's, it's, uh, we've had a good run. <laughs> no, nothing is last, <laughs> nothing this good has lasted that long. I'm not signaling the no. end. I'm simply saying that as a human being, you can't look back on our own messy, messy, messy history and not think that like something's got to give, um, you know, sure. so that's, that's all that it is. And, um, our hope is not here on the earth, so that's okay. So here we are. It just sucks because you know it can work. <laughs> well, it sucks because you want to have children, you know. It sure, exactly, yeah. Who like introducing them to a world like this? And I mean, that's just talking about the economy. There's all kinds of other problems that we could talk of course, about. The of course, level of violence and uh, hatred and vitriol is its whole other topic. But since we live in that, let's escape, Jared. Let's jump into our games, of course. This is the Hall of Games, uh, the ever-growing catalog of video games inducted into said hall. Legendary game titles that have proven to be timeless classics. Each title is chosen from the Bard's backlog and broken down through comprehensive evaluation. We are the keepers of the Hall of Games, the skeptic critics of each candidate, and the executioners of those not deemed worthy. Today's candidates, <laughs> Super Mario 64, the oldest game we have covered thus far in our uh, evaluations. So the question is, will it be entered into the hall? I guess this conversation will tell. I I love having someone like Jared here to talk about this because so many people look at this game just from, when the, you know, you got the, the red tinted gl- goggles on. So someone I think it's I think that, it's so. rose-colored glasses. <laughs> I always mix that stuff up. I apologize. <laughs> I am pretty sure I have a slight speech impediment, but you're right. <laughs> the red tinted goggles. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, uh, you're absolutely right. The rose tinted glasses is correct. So we'll see what goes on here. Mario 64 is the title for today. Of course, you can write into us. Our email is askvgb at gmail.com. To comment, ask a question, or berate and belittle us, you can support the podcast by following us on any podcast service and by dropping a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. That really does help when you review us. That puts us in front of other people. So please do that if you have the chance. Turn on notifications as well to get the latest episode as soon as it drops. Last time, we were graced with the hosting skill of Jared himself while we covered Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. 
kind of a culmination of the series at large, and we approached it in that way. Go take a look at that episode when it hits. Um, well, I guess for you guys, it'll be out by the time you hear this one. We're recording a lot of these in advance uh, just because I'm about to get into some busy times, busy, busy times here with school starting up. Uh, but uh, it has been a Mario-themed podcast because of that, has it not? Uh, we've last, I mean, including this one, it's going to be three titles in a row mm-hmm. of Mario. Which is totally fair. We went through a fr- we went through a FromSoft phase, too, so I think this is totally fine. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, you, you ain't wrong. Um, and I, I, Sunshine, we covered recently, too. So uh, we just get on our kicks, I suppose, and we get the titles out of the way that we know that we can. Um, and then also, just because of the busyness, we you know we knew we could fit these ones in. So partially also why we chose them. Our question before we get into the podcast here is... Jared, in lieu of the fact that Mario is this icon, he's this uh, 3D hero and has become so uh, prevalent in the lives and minds of uh, the kids and the even the young adults today, what's your favorite cartoon? Favorite cartoon of all time? Uh, personal favorite, maybe not the latest and greatest, but uh, do, do any of those appeal to you? I'm assuming you watched cartoons as a kid. Yeah, I did. Excluding anime, the entire genre of Mm. anime, I would say that you could make a case that it's one of two. Um, I, so growing up, I wasn't really allowed to watch a ton of cartoons, um, partially because we couldn't afford cable for like the longest time. Like we just didn't have Mm. anything, not even a connection to the house. So, um, so I would say, like, w- once I finally got to the point where I could watch some of those things, it was Avatar, The Last Airbender, um, which you could make a case is one of the greatest cartoons of all time. And and additionally, Absolutely. Adventure Time was a personal favorite of mine. So yeah. um, those those two specifically um, uh, stirred my soul and always had, I had a fascination for them um, growing up. So those two specifically. Why are you feeling a little nostalgic today, Josh? Did you hit up your favorite cartoon lately? Ah. Uh. No, I mean, not necessarily. I do feel nostalgic talking about 64. Adventure Time, though, is, I mean, that's an everlasting one, I feel like. Like, that's going to be pretty good to even watch way down the line. Just great. I think it, even today, I, I still find it funny. Actually, like a year ago, Karina and I just, we had gotten Hulu, and we just, like, watched a few episodes, and we're laughing. It's fun. Uh, so, fantastic pick there. Did you ever watch uh, Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends? I thought a lot of the Cartoon Network shows were just straight up obnoxious, to be frank with you, outside of <laughs> Adventure Time. Like, I couldn't watch regular show. I couldn't watch uh, that that show specifically. Um, there was a couple others where it was just nothing but screaming a lot of the time. And I, like, couldn't, yeah. <laughs> I couldn't do it. And any time I had it on, too, my mom would walk into the room and be like, what is this garbage that you're watching? So um, some things were no-go. Some things were, were, were go-go. And that, that was not one of them. Well, I bring I bring it up not because it's my favorite, but because at the same time that we were watching Adventure Time, I was like, "Oh, Foster's Home," so I kind of clicked on it and watched a couple episodes, and it doesn't like it doesn't translate as well. At least, I, and maybe that's because I'm an adult or whatever. But like, it it doesn't have that evergreen appeal that an Adventure Time does. So just making that comparison in my head, it was very interesting to see. Uh, personally, favorite cartoon of all time. Actually, Adventure Time is probably my number two. Number one's got to be SpongeBob, just because of how how much I watched it. (laughs) I watched a lot of cartoons. I watched a lot of cartoons, man. I'd go to my grandma's house every so often, and that's like pretty much all we did there. Um, 
Phineas and Ferb a little later down the line, but you got like Fairly Odd Parents, Jimmy Neutron was big at the time, lots of Nickelodeon. Uh, you're right, Cartoon Network does have a lot of obnoxious ones. I missed a lot of the ones at the time that I was growing up. A lot of classics are great, Boomerang and whatnot. You can go and watch uh, Tom and Jerry's, fantastic to this day. Some of those, you know, evergreen ones. But SpongeBob was my bread and butter. I I do honestly believe, like to this day, the first three seasons are also just classics, just great. Um, it's an annoying show to a lot of people. You kind of have to get used to SpongeBob himself and his his piercing voice. But after you can get over <laughs> that hump, I think it's pretty clever uh, in a lot of different ways. So I like SpongeBob. I, I it kind of raised me, so uh, I can't not give it the nod. Uh, I don't know if you like SpongeBob. It's not everyone's favorite. Lucy's um, favorite is SpongeBob. There you go. Okay, I feel validated. I feel validated. Yeah. I always think of, whenever I think of Spongebob, I think of my friend's dad, who used to watch it every day. Uh, so weird, would, man. I know, right? He was like 45, like almost 50 when I at the time when I was younger. And uh, he was a mailman, worked for the Postal Service. Uh, and I, from what I understand, they make good money. I mean, you can make like 80K a year uh, working for the Postal Service, so no judgment there but he'd come home from his job from his job and he'd just plop down in front of the tv crack open a couple beers and just laugh away at spongebob and i'd come over sometimes and and you know be hanging out with my friend and he'd be down there just bally laughing about, like something patrick was doing oh my and it's so weird it was so weird that's such an um, interesting dynamic right there it is no it's super it's well and like i'm saying all that and now here i am as an adult talking about mario 64 so no judgment. No judgment at all. I like to go and revisit things from my past and, and cartoons and stuff and just see how they hold up and, and see if really what I liked about them does translate over time. And, of course, other cartoons and stuff are going to be kind of made for both adults and kids. I mean, you got Pixar stuff. you got Studio Ghibli stuff. So, I mean, you got all that. But some of the ones that are more focused towards kids, the ones that are, like, truly fantastic are the ones like an Adventure Time or SpongeBob or Phineas and Ferb that just last for uh, years and years and years. Uh, but let's go ahead and jump into the games we play in. Jared, take it away. So just just quick little dabbles here. I've been mostly grinding away. We have some episodes coming up here of bigger games, so I've been grinding away at little bits of them here and there. But this game called Monster Hunter Rise has always fascinated me, and it happens to be 49% off the Nintendo eStore. Um, at least it was a couple days ago when I purchased it. So far, though, it's been um, uh, very anti-user friendly um so user unfriendly i suppose like just trying to figure out how to replenish my stamina i still don't know how i skipped through like seven sub menus to try to find it and i can't figure it out so it feels very much like clunky and stat heavy and like a lot of information and they they kind mm. of like it seems like they're trying to spread out the information but i almost feel like Maybe there was a prerequisite game that I missed or something. I haven't done too much of a deep dive on it or anything, but I, it's always intrigued me. So far, it seems okay, 
but I, it's not everything that I thought it was. It's much more complex than that, and it's just throwing me right into the deep end, and I'm like backpedaling, <laughs> backpedaling a little bit. Um, so it is what it is, but I, I've just struggled to pay full price for it, not knowing what it was. You know, it's a full price mm-hmm. game, fifty nine ninety nine usually, and uh, I was like, I don't know if I could do that. I don't know if I want to do that. So I took advantage if, of the fact it, that it was half off. Is it so you don't think it's on sale anymore? It might be because normally their deals run for a couple of weeks. So I bought it a couple of days ago. Might as well check it out. Um, but yeah, Monster Hunter Rise not including the DLC, the Sunbreak DLC. Um, okay. But it is obviously a game with a large following, or else they wouldn't be releasing DLCs. You know, that's generally a good sign that a, go- a, a game community is alive and well. So no, um, yeah, Monster Hunter like the the series itself really exploded with Monster Hunter World, which came out for the PS4. That's Capcom's greatest selling game of all time okay that's insane to me it was never that big of a series before rise is the is the follow-up and it's just on or was just on the switch and it's 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 actually a little more user friendly (laughs) um but the reason i asked about the sales because i honestly i could probably pick it up too and then we can play it through it together because i've always heard that monster hunter is a game you play with other people Uh, that'd be great it's, it's a it's a classic from japan it was pretty much just appealing to the japanese culture for most of its time until yeah, Monster Hunter World came out um and i've i've always had a hard time getting into it i got a monster hunter generations and played it for a while and had kind of similar experience to what you're saying i downloaded the monster hunter rise demo and again just was like nah it's just it's not for me i don't think um, I even got Monster Hunter World, and I, I played through probably only a couple hours of it. I, I dropped it pretty quickly, but it's it's not something that you can take lightly. And I probably should have warned you a little bit more about that, because it's something that uh, has its own cadence to it, has its own appeals to it, that if you're not aware of and really starting to yearn for those things, you're just not going to get the most enjoyable experience. There's just like a, a methodical process that people take to approach monster hunter um but japanese people absolutely love this series i I remember hearing about back when it was on the uh what was that the psp when it was on the psp people would get like uh i don't remember what the like syndrome was called but it was like a hook finger syndrome because of them using uh the psp in a certain way and holding it in a particular way to play monster hunter and it became like an issue among young people in japan that they were all having this like uh, ligament problem <laughs> so it's super popular it has its appeal but it's not one that translates easily if you're just trying to go into it especially blind so i i feel for you i do because i've i've been i've been there i've not been able to get into it myself so i mean i just can't even even with the advent of mario though i know the japanese are capable of creating something that's easy to learn <laughs> i just think like in, in case right. of games like these and maybe xenoblade a little bit although xenoblade's not as bad um it's it's a little complex it's a little over my head i can't lie and uh you know yeah. as as a casual i don't know but the uh i the, felt that same way the other game direct contrast which is miles morales now the rights to Spider-Man was bought by Sony a couple of years ago, and they almost bought all of Marvel. Can you imagine? Um, they almost bought all of Marvel for $25 million, and instead they settled for Spider-Man for $10 million. That's how big Spider-Man was at the time. Um, well, by a couple of years ago, you mean like 20 years ago. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, okay. Whenever it was. I don't actually remember knowing when the deal was, but like, I think they bought it after... 
The Tobey Maguire films are all Sony films. That was that was after they had bought the rights from. Gotcha, Marvel. gotcha. There you yeah. go. Um, so so Spider Man was obviously the largest Marvel character for a long time. Now I, I you could probably say it's probably Hulk is probably the bigger one or or whatever else. I don't know. You could make that argument. But Miles Morales is the latest. Um, latest and greatest game in the Spider-Man franchise, which was really revitalized. Um, they've always had great Spider-Man games, uh, Spider-Man 1, 2, and 3, some for the GameCube here and there. I remember playing the Spider-Man game for the GameCube and loving its open world. It was so much fun. Um, that was the game you played Doc Ock. Do you remember Ock. which one it was? I think it was the one you played Doc Ock. It was Spider-Man 2, I think. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, that one's great. Yeah. 2 was very, well, maybe not underrated. I'm sure it was great at the time, but people don't talk enough about it today. Like, it's... Yeah. One of those like licensed games that's still like in my mind just is legendary. Yeah, um, good stuff all around, and obviously with the next gen consoles. But I will say this: I'll just plug it right here. My favorite Spider-Man game of all time is Ultimate Spider-Man for the GameCube. Um, dealing with characters like Silver Sable, Venom, you get to actually play as Venom. Um, and oh yeah, that is my favorite Spider-Man game of all time. Still has not been replicated. You get to eat. You know, people as Venom, you get to break them in half. Uh, it was craziness. Uh, absolute nutso. So, but really love that game. Uh, the, the fluidity of the, the web slinging and jumping back and forth was simpler than Miles Morales. Miles Morales is very complex in its web slinging. So um, just dived into that just a little bit. Combat. I have the dial turned all the way up to hard, uh, hardest difficulty. So we're going to see how long go. I can take that. Um, but it's, it's a flashy, beautiful, beautiful game. Do I know how I feel about um, you know Peter Parker being replaced by Miles Morales? No, emotionally, I don't know how I feel about that. But I mean, it's the way culture is going, so it's going to happen eventually. But uh, but yeah, so here we are. Well, he's not replacing him. I mean, Peter Parker just got his own longer game in Spider Man just a couple of years ago. So this is just like a it's it was started as a DLC. It's a small follow up, and then the next one I think is supposed to be both of them. But I say I know what you mean at the same time. But Miles Morales also predates a lot of the uh, wokeification, right? Is the phrase that people use today of stuff that's been going on. So I don't I don't harbor any ill will towards him. I mean, it's just one of those things where Robin has to replace Batman eventually. These these characters have been with us for so long; it becomes unfeasible to connect their age and cultural relevance at the same time. You have to pick one or the other. You either have to place the universe back in a time in what they were their prime, and this was physically possible for them to do. You can't claim that Batman's 85 and beating up people on the streets. You can't do that. So um, <laughs> it doesn't work. And you also you know, can't claim that they are still 35 and it's 2022. So it's just not – you can't have both – and uh, Miles Morales or whoever, eventually there has to be a Peter Parker replacement. And I suppose that's what I mean when I say that anytime you see someone who's similar to you, you see a young blood come out on stage, you see, you know, you see, um, uh, uh, what's the Aerosmith lead singer? Oh, I don't know. Tyler. Sorry. Something. You're on your own. Yeah, I know. Sorry about that. Oh, let's say. Um, <laughs> no, it's okay. <laughs> you, um, anyone now, I, you get what I i'm saying i have a bone and, to pick with this here jared but go ahead and finish your thought no it's just you see you see young talent coming onto the scene who does the same thing the old talent does but they're fresher they're younger um and you can't help but feel a little bit of uh oh they're about to be replaced 
or or I hope they're not trying to replace my favorite, my darling, my love. You can't you can't replace the originals, right? And that is true to an extent, but when a series is beloved by generation after generation after generation, this isn't your daddy's Spider-Man anymore. You know what I mean? So that's all that it is. Um, you know, I, I suppose you could bend time and reality and maintain Peter Parker's age at 21 and keep him culturally relevant, but um, that's all. It's just a, it's an emotional question because this is not the Spider-Man that I grew up on. You know what I mean? That's all. Yeah. Uh, I was just going to say, I feel like it's it's different when you're thinking of like like in my mind Spider-Man is like a figure of literature. It's like a Sherlock Holmes. Like you can reinvent that character over and over and over. You don't necessarily have to see them age because they're there more of as a symbol, as a uh, archetype of something as opposed to as an actual in real time individual. Now it's cool to see that, and you've you've you know you've seen that in comics and stuff, and you still see that um, even in things like the movies and whatnot. So like you see that progression, but like I, I'm not, I don't have any problem with them keeping him at a young age and and going back to that over and over and over because that's that's what Spider Man has always been. Spider Man was the the uh, the character, the superhero that was uh, meant to represent a, a young. Uh, very, uh, you know, pulled by different parts of his life. He had school, he had friends, he had a, you know, job on the side, and he's trying to do all these things while also being superhero. He was this everyman, which was such an interesting and refreshing take on, like, the the gods of a lot of these superhero stories and uh, the Bruce Waynes, the millionaire billionaires with uh, all the massive detective skills and stuff. Like, instead, you just have this kid. You know, and that was just so much more relatable. He's struggling with all this other stuff. And then also, because he's been given this great power, he feels like he has to do these other things. Um, and that, to me, is like a story that can appeal to any generation. So I, I'm not opposed to them continuing to keep him evergreen in that way. Um, but I, I get what you mean, too. But uh, And I feel like that's kind of like that's comic book characters. Like, have you seen the new Batman movie? With Pattinson? Yeah. Yes. So it's, in my opinion, they, they took that guy and they made him into a millennial, <laughs> you know? And, and so, like, they took Batman and reinvented him, and, and that's fine. Like, I'm okay with that. Miles Morales also existing next to Peter Parker gives you kind of both of those. Um, and the whole comics talks about how he was a part of the Ultimate Universe and stuff, but we don't have to get into any of that. But, uh, yeah, anyway, that was, my, that was my bone to pick. I just wanted to make sure I uh, tossed that at you, Jared. I think that's fine. I, I think that's an argument to be made, but it's also kind of like, if the word fantastic was changed or, or the word painting was changed, it's like, Oh, I I'm into, I'm into painting. Oh, what kind of painting? Oh, I mean like, um, like, you know, changing the interior of my house. It's like, Oh, I thought you meant painting like oil painting. It's like, no, 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 no. I meant Bob Ross painting. Oh, I thought you meant like, um, you know, Leonardo da Vinci Sistine Chapel style painting. Oh no, no, no. I meant, um, abstract like Pollock. So you see what I'm saying? Like there's a, there's an overlap of the terminology that is Spider-Man. And I feel like I guess yeah. I'm glad that they labeled it Miles Morales as opposed okay. to Spider-Man the replacement, if that makes sense. Like Sherlock Holmes, yes, that's that's kind of it, it feels like the the Arthur Conan Doyle Sherlock has been replaced by Benedict Cumberbatch in time. So when I say I'm into Sherlock Holmes, they're like, oh, I also love Benedict Cumberbatch. I'm like, no, 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 no. That's not what I mean. And 
while the Benedict Cumberbatch movies are great, um, do you see what I'm saying? Like the overlap of terms is almost, it's like you can't diversify yourself. I'd almost rather you create a web slinger um, who is not even affiliated with Peter Parker at all, almost. But I, I'm being nitpicky. I'm just kind of throwing ideas out there. They're very unpolished. But it's almost like the, the, if, the term, if, the, um, if the term Spider-Man becomes too big of an umbrella, it loses all of its uniqueness. And hmm. that's, that's all. Like giving Miles powers that are beyond web-slinging. It's like all of a sudden... And you can dress it up in funky language, you know, um, uh, you know, bioelectricity or whatever else you want to say. But the fact is that Peter Parker's always been a web-slinger and Miles Morales now has electricity in his fists. So that's mm-hmm. all. That's all I'm saying. Not a really, so not really a complaint. The days. Not really a complaint, just, a, just an emotional change of pace, if I could say it that way. Yeah. So you yearn for the days of pre-Spider-Verse, where the character just was authentically what he was, as opposed to Spider-Pig and Noir Spider-Man and Miles Morales and all this other crazy doodah stuff going on. Is, is, that, is that... Am I hearing you right? Yeah, I, it's just one of those things that happens when it's... When you say I like... When you say I like scotch whiskey, you only mean one thing, you know? You mean scotch, you know? When you say I like cigars, you have to get a little bit more specific. Oh, I like, you know, light wrapper cigars, or I like those big Churchills. Okay. I like really long. Okay. I, it's just that the, the, the more broad and more things you shove into the definition of Spider-Man, the more convoluted it gets. And I'm not looking forward to that. I got you. From a technical perspective. I got you. But, but I don't mind this you know whatever they're doing it's fun to play that's for sure (laughs) sorry for the really long-winded answer no i know i got you actually i vibed with what you're saying there you know it's like i can't say i like star wars anymore Mm -hmm. because it's gotten Mm -hmm. so broad (laughs) exactly when i say i like star wars i'm thinking about the original trilogy you know (laughs) like that's what i'm thinking of no i i see what you mean i see what you mean Okay, well, games I am playing. Uh, I'm excited to talk about Miles Morales some more. Uh, I had played it before. I think we covered it, or at least in the games we played before. So uh, go on the hunt for that, and I'm sure exactly when that happened. But uh, today I've been playing, well, not today, but this last week or so, I've been playing a few different games. The one that has really garnered my attention has, has been the thing that each time I turn on my PS5, I just go straight towards is GTA V. Ah, Grand Theft Auto Five. I don't know why I never checked this game out. I don't know why. It's, this is your first time? It's completely, yeah. I'd wow. never played through it. Um, I've actually never played through a full GTA game. I love Rockstar's work. I've played Red Dead 1 and 2. Uh, GTA is just so crass and crude. It, it always kind of like repelled me just a little bit. And GTA Five was such a massive game that I was kind of perfectly happy to skip out on it. You know, I, I like to play the... Uh, um, the... Um, oh, I, I, uh, someone who's against the crowd. The word I'm thinking of is just escaping me right now. But uh, so if, if it's a trendy thing, right? Lots of people are this way. They they kind of turn their nose up at it. So I was definitely that way. I'm a lot better about just saying like, hey, if I like it, I like it. But never played it, and I got the taste for a GTA type game playing through Mafia. 
Mafia is inspired by yeah, what GTA I was about had to done. Say. And so I was like, you know what? I was playing through this other game. I was playing these old-timey vehicles. I'm, I'm in the vibe of that. So let's actually pick up another vehicle-focused game. And I had GTA. And there's been GTA 6 stuff in the news. So I thought this might be timely. And okay, I, let me just say, I, I regret everything about not having touched this before. I can totally see why this is the second best-selling game of all time, falling just behind Minecraft. Uh, this thing is is something else, man. Like uh, we talk about Mario Kart and how Mario Kart is like what video games should be. GTA Five is that as well, kind of on a completely different part of the spectrum. I think you could have Mario Kart as one end, and then GTA Five as another end. Although they both have cars, um, it's such an interesting beast of a game and i am just enthralled with it right now honestly it's also part of it is like i'm, I'm going back to a 2013 america in it yeah. because the whole thing about gta is that it's it's a satire of americana yes like they take everything that's going on in america and they make fun of it yeah you know um have you played gta 5 jared yeah of course i, I would say if if real life was a video game it would look like gta 5 it would look like it now GTA is hardcore exaggerated, right? But it does like it, you have all those elements, and it's 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 making jokes on the you know at, um, at the expense of, of a lot of parts of American life, and uh, it's it's a lot like South Park in that way, right? Just uh, very sacrilegious and rude, and uh, everything you're doing is offensive. Like every single part of this game is screaming offensive, offensive, offensive. Like you just run over people, you know. Like, you just get out of a car and shoot people. Like, how offensive is that today with the violent culture we have? You know? So, like, yeah. that's just what this game is. And, and part of me, like, <laughs> is enjoying going back to this game that came out before all the madness of the internet kind of took over. And um, seeing how, how, how game creators and, and really uh, artists back in that time frame we're just we're taking risks we're willing to offend we're like pushing things to a limit of like ooh, you know like it kind of makes you a little uncomfortable like should i really be doing this or yeah um should i really be listening to this like and gta's kind of maybe it's not as bad as it sometimes it definitely is um but uh, people don't do that anymore right everyone's also wary of offending and everyone wants to be inclusive and everything so like uh playing it's been fun in its own right kind of seeing that and, and almost having a bit of a portal into the past and it's so crazy that this has been as enduring as as it has been um and of course gta online is a huge reason why i haven't even touched that yet i've just been having a grand old time with the story i'm not the biggest online guy but i'm, I'm having a great time and it, it's so slick in its controls like you're driving around it just feels so good like, that's, that's the main reason I turn it on. It's not even about necessarily the story and stuff. Obviously, all the trappings around it of, like, going and playing tennis or going and playing cards or, yeah. you know, Loose going and dressing yeah. a character. Yeah, like, all this fun stuff you can do on the side, quite frankly, I don't care. All I want to do is drive the cars. Mm -hmm. Like, I just want to go punch someone out, grab their car, and drive around until I get five stars and the, the tanks are coming out and the helicopters are swarming around me and I'm trying to get away, you know? Like, that's fun. It's such a weird thing, but it's so much fun, and nobody does it better than GTA. And so I just, every time I turn on the system, I'm like, ooh, hello. And I, I click on that, as opposed to uh, Returnal, <laughs> which is what I was supposed to be playing uh, this week. But uh, we'll get to that eventually. 
but yeah, uh, having a great time. Looking forward to continuing to play it. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know why I just didn't go for it. I bought it. I've had it. Like, seriously, I, I've had it for years now. I just never played it. <laughs> GTA so. Five was that game that preachers preached about in the pulpit <laughs> when I was oh, in yeah. high school. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Dude, it is, it is offensive. It is gross. It is like you are playing as the scum of the earth. And it glorifies a lot of that, right? Like, that's a big problem, and I can see why that'd be... Like, I don't, I don't think I'd ever have my kid play this until, you know, they're a little bit older or whatever, but um, it's doing all that on purpose, right? And and a lot of people can say, you know, you're, you you have no morals, but it's almost like they're, they're making fun of the idea of morals at all, while also showing how awful it is to not have any sort of semblance of morals so it's it's such an interesting thing like it it's exactly what it ought to be it's exactly what it wants to be and you despise it and love it because of that yeah uh, it's interesting it's interesting yeah i'm having a great time uh still playing through doom eternal as well i've kind of had my time sucked away by gta but i do want to really push through and finish doom i was playing it over the weekend and um, really got into a couple of great sessions while I was actually editing our previous podcast, so that was fun. Um, and then the other game I've been playing is Jack 3. Jack and Daxter is that series right after Crash Bandicoot for Naughty Dog um, and right before Uncharted. So this is from that legacy of what has become the uh, AAA titles of Last of Us, right? So uh, going back and seeing some of their works from before, I had played through Jack 1 and 2 about probably like five years ago now it's been a little while and i never got to three i i'm playing through it and i'm realizing why i never really finished it it's not so much of a platformer as it is kind of a driving game actually so a lot of vehicles in my gaming recently between mafia gta and jack but uh i i got a a a bug for a platformer an old school platformer I'm playing through Mario 64, right? We played through Sunshine. We played through Galaxy. And I'm like, man, I love these games, but I want a new experience. Uh, I don't necessarily want to just go revisit all these games that, yes, I absolutely love, but it's all stuff I know. So I was thinking about it. I was racking my brain. I was like, you know what? I have Jack 3. I never finished it, so I'll play through that. Um, And it's all right. It's it's an old game, right? It's, It's an old PS2 game, so there's a lot of gripes that I could probably pull out from it, but... Uh, I'll probably play a little bit more of it. We'll see. We'll see. I, I say that a lot, and then I don't go back. But uh, I have no opposition to it, per se. I, I I could see myself finishing it out. I have to check and see how long it takes to beat, because that might make the decision easier for me. But um, those are the games I've been playing. Kind of a disparate mix of titles. Um, and I've been having a grand old time. Let's jump into our default segment for this week. For the default segments, uh, I just got a question for you, Jared, and this kind of goes into some of the stuff I was even saying just now, but uh, including uh, other games that I, really, honestly, a lot of the games that I've been playing recently have, have put this into my mind, uh, this question here. So my, my question is, do you see a place for video games in education? 
So in the classroom, whether that's uh, middle school, elementary school, high school, college level, do you see some inherent educational value, academic value inside video games at all? I guess that's the first start. Like, is there anything at all? And if so, where might that be a proper place to implement it? Um, or do you see video games as simply escapism, simply as distraction, and as having no deeper value beyond that? No, I think I think if everyone were to um, play Portal in a physics class, it would be appropriate. I think if everyone were to play Sims house building in a engineering class, architecture class, it'd be appropriate. So the line between video games and simulator is blurred a little bit. That's why they call you know, uh, it, you know, um, uh, what's the uh, like the surgeon simulator? You know, and you like mm-hmm, cut out mm-hmm. organs and stuff. That's a simulator. <laughs> um, That's so funny you bring that up. We were, I just had some friends over and I forced them to play VR because I always do that. And I had him play Surgeon Simulator. He was like, after he finished playing that, he was like, people do that in real life. <laughs> yep. He was like so like shook with having to like pull this person's heart out of their chest. and He was just so nervous about it. Anyway, sorry. I was at the um, University of Connecticut Hospital um, in Connecticut when I was shadowing. This was before I went to college and I knew I wanted to be a doc at the time. I wanted to be an anesthesiologist. So I followed, I shadowed a nurse anesthesiologist, a nurse anesthetist, pardon me, and um, she introduced me to this, like, I think it was $2.5 million equipment, maybe not that high, that seems a bit high. Um, It was essentially a real-life simulator, and you sat down on this tool, you stuck your hands in, and the controls were all wired to your fingers for precise hand movement. And I got to play around with this, and I would sew up um, sutures and and perform surgeries and stuff like that. Just a couple minutes on that thing. Millions of dollars. Um, I think I keep saying that phrase. I don't know if it is that much. Um, But it was super in-depth. It was a really high-end piece of equipment, and it really blurred the line between simulator and video game for me. And yes, that yeah. stuff is appropriate. It's tremendous in learning. You, you practice on a, on a cadaver so you don't hurt a real human. You practice in a video game so you don't waste any real-life resources. Come on. This is, this is common sense here. I could easily see a building contest being done in an architecture class with some high-end 3D architectural software. That's already how these guys develop blueprints. I came up with a game concept years ago called Construction Destruction, um, which was, you know, you build all of these buildings and then you knock them down uh, to restart. You go around the city, you know, in, in the destruction version of the game, you walk around with like cranes, you're driving cranes and jet planes, you're trying to demolish a city as fast as you can, similar to Rampage, but in a GTA 5-like environment. And, um, that was a game I'd still love to be seen today. Or on the flip side, you know, you develop a city and build it from the ground up and you learn some, you know, how, how fun would it be to do a home builder, you know, within budget? It's like you are, you know, for your class project, um, you design a home from the ground up within a certain architectural style and like you're graded on um, the layout, you know, electrical plumbing, how you formatted the house and you build it from the ground up learning as you go. I think that would be perfectly relevant. How many young men do you know today that have no idea how to go into a home, evaluate it for sale and for purchase and make good judgment calls? All they see is Mm. the price tag these days. And that's because our education has kind of been dumbed down for us. And then 
you know, our grandfathers dropped the ball for our fathers who dropped the ball for us. And I'm not blaming your father or my father specifically, but what I am saying is that young people today are leaving education with nothing but knowing that Columbus sailed the ocean blue in 1492. What are we doing? So, um, some don't even know that. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's only because it rhymes that I know that. So, yeah, there's a place for video games in education because you can kind of blur that line a little bit. No, do you want to play GTA 5 for your literature class? No. But if you do have a high end um, simulation of what the, the uh, how do you say it? Is it the Louvre? The Louvre in Paris? Where yeah, the Louvre, yeah. The Louvre in Paris where you're holding the Mona Lisa. If you could take your students on a field trip to Paris for a day, why wouldn't you? Yeah. Why wouldn't you? So let's inspire the next generation. Let's use all of the tools at our disposal. Um, and that's, you know, that's my long-winded answer there. What do you think, Josh? Well, uh, to respond to some of the things you mentioned, the reason that they don't have virtual tours is because it's expensive. <laughs> exactly. Uh, actually, this is something that we looked into for one of my master's classes. It was really cool. Uh, we got all assigned, like, applied technology into education. And my team, this group project, got given virtual reality, which was awesome. So we looked into it a lot, and there is a lot of, especially with VR, uh, fantastic applications, including like what you said with uh, surgery. In fact, um, high-end virtual reality is being implemented in research and development departments um, and it's like crazy, right? You need like a supercomputer to like, you know, mm-hmm. actually run this stuff and mm-hmm. y- you know, it, it costs all this money. So it's, it's not accessible, but they're starting to do that. Like you said, like to kind of train people and even how to do procedures and whatnot. So that's already being implemented in some way and, and teaching. And yeah, I think uh, that was one of the ideas that we had was, um, actually going on field trips and stuff. Hey, why not be able to, I mean, you, you mentioned going to a modern museum, but why not be able to take people back into the past and like go right. to Egypt and, and right. actually just observe these cultures. And yeah, maybe you're not, um, there actually, but you can really like go in and virtually create it to as, much details you possibly can these worlds um but the line there does kind of get blurred right that i guess that question then becomes what is a video game and what is simply software and uh that's kind of where it's like okay like surgeon simulator is there really any inherent educational value there like really no not really <laughs> like yeah. no it's fun right it's, it's a goofy thing and that's kind of the thing video games are supposed to be fun right uh they're meant to distract and and, and be something that's enjoyable and education is not always that so you're not always going to get that and uh is assassin's creed the best example of history yes you know? so that those oh, are no? sorts oh, of sorry. things that you would well no, no i i think you know you could make an argument for assassin's creed the other problem too is the amount of time right that these sorts of things take I would think, I would think, you, you said GTA 5 not being in a literature class. I kind of disagree. Like, I think that there's some games that do have almost an inherent literature quality. You know, I, I think a lot about how nowadays books just aren't as major, right? That there's so much from the past that, uh, you know, icons and stuff in history of uh, authors who have written timeless classics. And a lot of the people that used to do that sort of stuff are now in different mediums, including movies, including TV shows, including video games. And GTA is, to me, a very interesting case study of uh, Americana and the satire that you can pull from that. In fact, I think that they do it better than any sort of textbook, or not textbook, but any book that I've read. Um, and just poking fun at people. Now, is that a high school thing? No, that's probably like college level, right? Uh, I wouldn't feel comfortable playing GTA with high school class. Uh, lots of teachers would, but not me. 
Um, but even Mafia, in fact, Mafia is what put this into my mind. Uh, Mafia, this game that I just finished, it takes you back to 1930s America, and it, it shows you what it's like to be in the mob in a very, very authentic way. And I was enthralled. In fact, I felt like, and I, I know the era very well, I felt like I learned a thing or two about just how life was back then, you know? And I could see some value in that. Now, the the, the trade-off is time. I, I don't think I could justify playing a 20-hour video game in class with all my buddies, or with all my students. Uh, but... I, I do see, like, there's there's games like that. In fact, there's a lot of uh, really well-written JRPGs, and I could list off of several of them with, with great beats, awesome storytelling, you know, climaxes and crescendos that are surprising, that are emotional. We've talked about a lot of games, uh, even in our podcast, that, that just have uh, really great characters, really fantastic writing. I think of Hades, you know. So there's some value there. I feel like you can actually get a lot of literature-type qualities out of the gaming industry is that everything no um is it going to be something that's valuable over the length of a whole semester Uh, that's that's hard to say right um and it really does depend on what you choose but i i do see something like of value within the games industry that you can look at and and really start to nail down now when it comes to like the sciences and stuff, I do have a harder time justifying it. When I think of history and literature, it's a little bit easier. Like Civilization. Have you ever played a Civilization game? No, but that's one of the games that I was thinking of when I was talking about, you know, of course, uh-huh. you know, uses. Yeah. Yeah. Like if, if I had a world history class for uh, 11th graders or something and I said, hey, throughout the year, I want you guys to, you know, once a week, put in one hour into civilization because the idea of that game shows you just, you know, the development of civilizations and then over the course of time, how those play out and how the decisions that the leaders of them in the game, it's you, right, uh, affect their civilization as a whole. And I find that interesting and it, and it is logical and they actually pull from real world examples. So you can learn whether or not people scoff at that. Like you can actually see how that sort of stuff does play out. Now, how did it play out is the question, right? And that's where you have to make sure you're focused on the actual factual history of the stuff and you're making sure you're getting that to people. But uh, that's one example. Science, not as applicable, especially with like actual video games. You brought up Portal as an example. Um Physics is 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 one thing. I don't think I could justify playing Portal all the way through, right? Because it's it's kind of it's a one trick pony. Agree. Sounds terrible. Agree. No, no, no. I agree. It's a great thing. But uh, other physics games, yeah, showing how you can put this stuff together and uh, how you can program actual real world physics into stuff is is cool and can be interesting. So there's something there. I I wish I do. I I've thought about this, and actually, even when we were going through that group project, I began to kind of draft up a couple of letters to maybe like just send to developers and request that they make specifically educational games. You know, edutainment, like actually gear it towards a classroom, like implement, like break up your game like a curriculum, like set it up so where you're like you're having these little goal goal posts. Maybe you ask ask questions every so often. Like I know that's not something that someone who's sitting down on their couch at the end of a, a long work day would go for, but it wouldn't be for that audience, right? It would be a video game built for the classroom, and that's a, a vision of mine that I would love to see happen. I don't think it ever will. Um. Unless there was like a lot of great, you know, like government subsidizing or something that happened towards that, like there'd have to be a big push, 
not only from the games industry itself, but from the outside forces, the education system itself, uh, to accept that sort of thing. So it seems like a pipe dream, but um, I could see that being a thing. I really could. And, and, and honestly, as someone who is an avid gamer, uh, I get a lot out of this stuff, almost as much as I get out of a book. Is it as deep? Um, probably not. Um, am I spending too much, like more time on it than I probably should, you know, compared to like reading a book I probably do in a weekend. And then some of these games are a hundred plus hours. I can't even physically do that. Um, yeah, time trade-off is a big question there, but I see a lot of value to games and education. I see a lot of value to movies and education too. Um, more from like a thoughtful approach of like writing a paper on it, but I could see myself writing a paper about some video games, you know? So I, in my opinion, there's a place for it. How to do that wisely is the question, right? You don't want to just change everything. You don't want right, to just all right. of a sudden have Minecraft class because that's not, there's no actual real world value to that. Uh, but just piecemeal, just piecemeal. Like over the course, like I said, like I think a perfect way to do it would be like one project in the background of your class is playing through a game throughout the year, right? Um, and you're still doing all the tests and quizzes. You're still having them do their reading and stuff. And that might just be the way to do it. I don't know. Um, I think there needs to be a blend of virtual reality and regular reality. Just because if you were to sit down in front of your glass and be like, okay, next week's or this semester's project is Minecraft. Like half, like almost all of the boys in that class are going to be like, yay. And all the girls are going to be like, um, <laughs> okay. You know? Um, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so having a blend that fits the different skill types of each student is obviously, you know, a, a ideal, but in specialized classes, not just gen ed classes, I, I could definitely see uses for, uh, video games slash simulators in, in education. I could see a couple of college classes, maybe in a literature field or something, or maybe even just one, you could probably consolidate it down to one that was focused on the field of video games. Cause I do think there is enough value there. You can extract enough, um, between your, um, I mean, all the different titles that we've talked about already, uh, you could really just get a- enough out of it. Now I, I don't, I have a harder time justifying that sort of stuff with high school because there's so much foundational stuff to the rest of life that you need to focus on, right? You need to make sure you got your maths down, your English is down, and so on. So I don't want to take away from any of that. And, of course, you want to make sure that people are doing extracurricular activities, learning sports and whatnot, uh, music. Uh, But I, I would love to see a future where we implemented that sort of stuff. And I hope that that is the future. We're getting to a point, we've talked about this before, people are getting more and more used to the reality of just having video games around them all the time yeah adults play them on a level that you know it's 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 not uncommon at all for married couples just be used to the fact that the guy at the end of the day goes and plays some video games right you know? right uh very normal now and we're gonna have a kid me and karina and our daughter's going to be raised by two people that play video games and animal and crossing play video games together yes yeah and and she's gonna grow up in that and it's gonna be everything like that she knows that's just her life and that's so different from how we were right um but that's just that's the way things are now and so to implement it in other ways i think could be could be interesting to see how people could uh come up with solutions for that yeah all right our pick of the week is a icon from the past and that is super mario 64 
released in 1996 uh, in order to promote the new Nintendo 64. Super Mario 64 is a game that changed everything. Uh, you have Elden Ring today because of Super Mario 64. And I want to take a couple moments here before Jared just takes a big old dump on this old game and <laughs> talk it. about the legacy of this thing. Um, because it is it is one that changed everything. Um, the video game industry at the time in the 90s was, was still a baby. Uh, the 70s is where the arcades really began to catch on towards the end of the 70s. And you had very primitive games like Centipede and Pac-Man. And going into the 80s, games began to progress slowly, but surely. And the question was always, where does it go next? And around the time of the mid-90s, new consoles were about to come out, and the big push was toward 3D spaces. And you had started to see more CG and movies was starting to get implemented. Computer graphics and stuff was improving. And so people were wondering if maybe this is the time. Are computers getting to the point where they can handle this sort of thing? And different companies took different approaches. Sega took a quasi 2.5D approach uh, to their idea of 3D. Uh, On the Sony side of things, you had Crash. Crash Bandicoot was a 3D game, but on a very linear uh, path. And you you moved basically front to back. Uh, Even though it wasn't side to side like a side-scroller, it was essentially a side-scroller, but in a 3D space in its own way. And then you had Mario 64. And Mario 64 was full 3D. Like, this was what people perhaps could want, maybe couldn't envision, but that's where people had hoped it would go. Uh, Actually seeing your character right in front of you, walking around, and you can just go in any direction sounded like a cool thing. They had experienced this in previous games, the most popular one being Doom. Uh, Doom showed, even before in the 80s showed that hey 3d like you can actually kind of have this space where you're flipping around in 360 degrees even though the sprites themselves were all flat and 2d like you were you were actually navigating an actual 3d space and so for mario now and nintendo to try to take on that idea and to uh do it successfully was a big risk uh, Mario was definitely a popular character. Uh, had gained a lot of successful followers with its Mario Karts and its Super Mario Worlds. So everybody looked forward to Mario 64 and what might happen here. And a lot of people were nervous that this might even be the end of Mario. Like, if this doesn't go well, if this plays terribly, if this is not uh, something that uh, is enjoyable at all, then uh, this could be the end of, of that whole idea. And Miyamoto himself racked his brain. What are we going to do? How are we going to do this? This was uncharted territory for any game developer. And they came up with this idea. He came up with this idea of a camera. And the camera was the key to this whole thing. He said, okay, if we're going to have this character moving around, uh, what perspective do we give him? And it was hard for people to wrap their minds around just like a, a, a perspective further back. Uh, where you could move in either direction without the camera causing issues. Everything was fixed, right? Yes. It was left yes. or right, or it was fixed in some way, shape, or form. So how do you actually give true movement? Well, he 
in his mind how to justify that by literally placing a cameraman in the game that follows Mario around, just like you would if you had a documentary, right? Um, you you can go and do whatever you want at a documentary, and your cameraman can adjust the angle to fit whatever you need to get done in that moment. And so he made the Lakitu in this cloud carrying a camera in order to do that. And that one thing was the key to unlocking so much more. And to this day, Mario 64 stands as a testament to uh, successfully implementing the idea of a camera, the idea of a 3D world on a scale that very few people even expected. This is no tech demo. Okay, Mario 64 is a full-fledged game. They could have been perfectly happy settling with the fact that, hey, we got the camera right. Okay, well, let's let's throw in a few courses, uh, maybe a... a, a a good handful, right, and and give Mario a couple of basic jumps, uh, but otherwise let's play it safe. Uh, but they didn't do that. They pushed every other aspect of this game to the level that they could. They gave Mario all sorts of different moves beyond what they had ever given to him before. Uh, they added in uh, an interesting implementation of a hub world and jumping into different parts of the map and that sort of thing, right, on, a, on an older Mario game even. You, you have a map and you jump into each level, so it's not like it's unheard of, but uh, having that hub world really ended up being a key to success as well. And they chalked this thing full of secrets. Uh, they did everything that they could to push this to the level that uh, they were proud of and, and, and saying that, hey, this is still a high-quality game. Even though these are all new ideas, we, we're still delivering something great here. And because of that, Mario 64 changed everything. From then on, everybody wanted to be Mario 64. And that idea of a camera behind your back and, and navigating a 3D space became the new thing. Uh, if you weren't doing that, then you were old news. Uh, 2D games for a while simply vanished. By the end of the 90s and going into the early 2000s, everything was 3D world. And everything was trying to implement different aspects of uh, what you can do in a 3D space, right? Even GTA, like we've been talking about, comes from that era of, hey, what if you could just drive a car around in a regular city? And that sort of thing would not have ever happened if Mario 64 had not been as successful as it was. Uh, the Zelda series and what we know now in Breath of the Wild would not have happened. Uh, Ocarina of Time was directly inspired by Mario 64, and that jump for Zelda into 3D was successful because of Mario 64 as well, and also added its own fantastic um, additions to 3D, like the lock-on um, mechanism. And so this game, even though at this point, right, we're, we're 30 years in the future, so uh, looking back on this, it's antiquated, it's old, it's like trying to watch a, a 90s movie with CG, right? You're just going to kind of at it uh, here and there. <laughs> Uh, but its legacy uh, cannot be understated. And uh, the the joy and excitement that people got, the, the magic that this game captured, especially at that time, uh, should not be dismissed. Uh, this was a fantastic game, and it, and it saved uh, the N64 from just plummeting and failure. If this had not gone well, the N64 itself probably would have crashed as well. Um, and that's 64. Now, Jared... I I know that you don't like this game, <laughs> so I want you to tell me um, overall what 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 you felt about it. Like as you went through it, were you seeing any of these things, or were you so frustrated by uh, the the unfortunate controls today uh, that it kind of overshadowed any sort of specialness that this game might have had for you? 
I mean, of course it overshadowed it. I mean, you got to think like of of a of a modern day LED TV overshadowing a tube TV from you know the not you know the 80s really. Um, yeah, you've got to you've got to think of Sirius XM radio overshadowing the phonograph that Alexander Graham Bell invented. Listen, <laughs> listen, I, I, and I'm not. I don't say that as an insult. I'm saying that like. The enemy of this game, and Mario 3D All-Stars has made this super apparent. Who is going out and buying an N64 just to play Mario 64? Maybe like a handful of people on each continent, like really. Um, but what, was, what, what Nintendo did was say, look how far we've come with the Mario 3D All-Stars, which is my gateway into N64, and really, other than Sunshine, my gateway into you know Mario itself, really. I mean, I grew up playing Sunshine and Galaxy, um, and but not galaxy 2 i didn't know the culture behind nintendo i just played whatever hand-me-down games i could get my hands on for my friends you know and um playing mario 64 was a it's the victim of hindsight as it is as it, it just as much as it is the spiritual successor to so many i read a quote uh just earlier today that the creator of red dead redemption 2 said you cannot look at the 3d games industry and not be inspired you can't look anywhere without seeing someone who's inspired by mario 64 like that just mm-hmm. is a fact and everything that Josh said, I'm so glad he laid out the history of this game because that is the redeeming quality of this game is that everything that came after it is the beneficiary of those minds at Nintendo. I cannot wait for the documentary for Shigeru Miyamoto to come out. I will watch the heck out of that. Yes. Once this man either passes on or retires officially. I think he's retired, right? I can't, I don't, I don't remember what I've read. He, he, I think he, yes, he is pretty much. I think he still kind of goes around yeah. from time to time at yeah. Nintendo and he'll kind of like give some inspiration. Right, 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 right. Every now and then they'll ask him like, hey, what do you think of this? Yeah, right? more like of a celebrity. He's not right. like a lead designer right. or anything like right, that. Right, 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 right. Um, and I, I, I will watch the heck out of that documentary. And um, hopefully they're making it on the way. Please, wish list, Santa, please. Um, but the, <laughs> the, the difficulty that I found was that the perfected product of Mario Odyssey and Galaxy, and even Sunshine to a lesser degree, but still Sunshine, it stands in such stark contrast to, one, the utter sheer difficulty of Mario 64, and two... Mm. All of all of the modern trappings that I'm used to in 3D platformers um, slash mm-hmm. slash open yeah. world. So my gripes with this game are going to have to be tempered by um, an extremely um, liberal give to something being the first of its kind. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and, and that's that's really all that there is to it. My obviously, it's difficult as all get out, but but just the stickiness of the controls, just the the shortcomings in logic, just the the lack of discrimination between different types of elements and and, and different things like that. Logical inconsistencies in the world really um, um, really don't um, the, the uh, lack of draw distance for one. Um, you know, just things that you're so used to. In the modern world, uh, in the modern 3D gaming and 3D platformers and, you know, uh, Mario games in the future specifically, 
make this game look and feel old, but to, you have to give it props. You have to give it props. I was doing my own research today and just watching like the games that were inspired by Mario 64 earlier today, and it's a long list, brother. It's a long list. So it is. Um, I, I really want to temper my expectations with this. I've, I've texted Josh numerous times. He's like, I am not having fun <laughs> in, <laughs> in response to playing Mario 64. And two, like thinking, yeah. thinking that this game wasn't going to take as long as it has. And I, I'll full disclosure, folks, I have not beaten it. I got to the the third floor. Toad gave me his little star. I'm like, yes, we're going good. Finally, I was able to break past that 50 star point. And for whatever reason, I thought 50 stars was the end of the game. I don't know. I don't know why, but I have not beaten that endless stairwell by Bowser. I haven't gotten those 70 stars. I haven't done so. I um, full disclosure, folks, I have not beaten the game, but. I've spent enough time with it to lend my aid as the casual um, oh, co-host yeah. on this podcast. But overall impression, I want to temper my biases, but I do think that the, the legacy of this game needs to get its its nods and its props for sure. For sure. Yeah, it's like, I mean, we mentioned Columbus earlier. You know, we got to give Columbus the nod, but he was also kind of a jerk mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> very much a jerk it's a great example it's um, a great example mario 64 is not a jerk but it's it's definitely well like actually it kind of is and it's difficulty oh, this it's, is it's this definitely is definitely jerk. the hardest mario game oh for sure um bar none for sure this is old school hard clunky you got clunky movement you got it paired with like way too small platformers or platforms uh just ridiculous ways to solve things and, and arbitrary ways to, to get from place to place. Uh, wonky camera. The camera is like your worst. Like Bowser is not the main enemy of this game. It's actually the camera. Uh, but you again, you got to remember, hey, this is, their, this is the first time anyone actually tried a camera like this. So, so cut them some slack a little bit, you know. Uh, but it's old school hard. It is. And if you don't have a tolerance for that, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a tough time. And and maybe we just got to build up your tolerance, Jared. We got to get you some more uh, old school gaming uh, so that you can get a feel for it. But, yeah, uh, that definitely doesn't appeal to everybody. In fact, it's, it appeals to very few. If you hadn't grown up on this sort of stuff, right. it's very likely you will never go back. And right. That, that right. speaks to uh, a, a mass majority of the gaming uh, fanatics of today, even even people who call themselves gamers, uh, will not ever step foot in older games like this uh now mario it does have enough of a charm that you might be willing to go back to it but even me personally like i won't i won't touch a game from the 90s or the early 2000s even if i know that it's just overly clunky and and, and gross you know um just by today's standards like it just doesn't appeal to me anymore because it's not convenient it's not fun it's just not fun and uh so i get that i totally get that with this game as well but uh, yeah, maybe we just got to throw you at a couple more of these difficult exam- uh, difficult games, and and maybe you can build that tolerance up. For me, of course, as a as a longtime gamer, this is something that uh, I like and and I'm willing to put up with. But I even I can recognize how how tough <laughs> this game is, and and some of that comes down to just purely Mario's movement. Um, my wife, we, I was playing through this in preparation for the podcast, and my wife made a comment that made me laugh, and she was like, "It's like Mario's on ice." I forced her to play a star all the time, and. Uh, yeah, all the time, and and it's 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 something I remember struggling with, and, and going back and playing it, and I've I've one hundred percented it uh, since on the Switch, but it, even that was infuriating. You know, I was not having a grand old time with every single one of those stars, especially in like the tick tock clock. Ugh. 
uh, that's like my least favorite level because of how much precise platforming there is and just because of how imprecise Mario himself is. Um, he he. It, the, the thing that really bugs me is that you can't just 180 turn uh, if you have any momentum going anyway, if you're standing still, he'll he'll just like turn quickly and turn around. But if you're moving even a little bit and you try to just pull back on that stick, he's gonna kind of go in like a half circle. Yeah, he like kind of turns in like a wide turn, <sighs> and you fall off platforms all the time because of that. Uh, I was just playing this the other day, and I was uh, in the volcano in um, I don't remember what that level is called, the lava level. Uh, which was such a riveting level to me as a kid because I remember first going down into the basement and I'm like, whoa, what's going on here? And like, there's a little bunny, what's going on? Um, and actually, there's I don't think there's a bunny in the original version that's in the DS version. Uh, but you kind of like, there's water and you turn the corner and there's like this massive flame head on this painting. You're like, whoa, like what's going on there? And you jump in. But I was playing this level earlier and there's one star where you're, uh just supposed to follow this elevator up in the volcano itself and dude i hated one slight wrong turn yeah and and one slight wrong turn you're off the edge and you're burning your little mario butt that level Uh, which by the way yeah no yeah 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 uh there's a few that are like infuriating and i like using that word because it definitely explains the emotion i feel um there's some that are also just a joy like it, it has both of those there's like the first level bob on battlefield is just so much fun i wish there were more just like wider open field levels like that in the game uh but the ones that are there are truly fun like you can still have a fun time with them even today but those ones that require higher levels of platforming are are not fun <laughs> because you just don't have the precision that you need quite frankly uh, in a lot of those cases until you get used to it that being said if you can get used to how mario moves in this game it's cool. Like if you, if you watch a uh, speedrunner play this game, it's awesome. Um, seeing how they manipulate this game. Uh, but what did you think of Mario's movement specifically? Yeah, I mean it's a combination of of a couple of things. You you mentioned the not being able to turn around one eighty. Like that's very. I mean these are some seriously tight platforms. Um, it's ironic. They are. It's ironic that. Um, the camera is mentioned as the single worst enemy in the game because Lakitu is normally the character that throws spiny shells at you anyway. So him being <laughs> your cameraman was a bad oversight on Mario's part. And additionally, it's it's that, and it's also the fact that Mario, freaking Mario, brought tap dancing shoes when he should be wearing plumber's work boots. What is he doing? <laughs> like, the slipperiness is absolutely astounding. It makes no sense how I'm sliding all over the place on grass. Like, you you tell me, and the bridge on, like, whatever the uh tiny big world or whatever it is, which... Tiny Big World and uh, then, like... Tiny Huge Island. Tiny Huge Island. Like, that's great on paper and arguably the worst level in reality. Um, it's. I totally agree, actually. There's another one, too. That's the one where the water drains. I don't remember the name of it. It's got, like, the skimmers on... The water on. drains. Oh, Dire Dire Docks absolutely sucks. Yes. That's the one where I think you have to get in the cannon and launch across, like, diagonally across the room into the great drop down to the red coins in the town, something like that. Like, is that Dire Dire Docks? Excuse me. No, no, no. Dire Dire Docks is, um, that, that's a different water level. It's Wet Dry World. Sorry, I just- Wet Dry World, that's right. So that's these right. names. So, yeah. like, props to Nintendo for having these ideas, and they're executed, to be honest with you, beautifully. But 
the movement of Mario in each of these circumstances is just mind-bogglingly inconsistently. It's inconsistent. So let's let's just for, to frame some things here, right? So I expect to to be um, if I hit water to swim, right? Typically, if I hit cold water, like in the snow-bound world or whatever else, I'm going to lose health. Because it's frigid and Mario gets hypothermia, right? And it, all of his pixels are freezing. Poor little guy. So that's, that's <laughs> that. But also, there is no difference between the water that makes my butt cold and jump up in the air, similar to the lava, and the water that slowly drains my health. So, like, it, logical inconsistencies like that. The fact that when I long sure. jump across to the snow, I, I slide down. But I also, when it comes to wet, dry world, and I'm, I'm climbing a steep slope... I don't slide at all. I, it's just these, like, what, what is a slope and what's not a slope is a perfect example yeah. of what a logical inconsistency in this game is. And I, I you know, I'm going to be the bad guy in this, this episode, this podcast episode. I, I get it. Stab me now. That's fine. Terrible opinion, the casual, the worst, whatever else. I, I get that. But at the same time, while there's an excuse for breaking ground, there's no excuse for logical inconsistencies in the world that you're building. Um, and, and that, just the movement itself is so appallingly hard, hard to grasp because of this whole tap dancer shoe, as opposed to work boot situation that our plumber, our favorite plumber has got going on here. Um, and I like how you blame his shoes. <laughs> I know it. Well, that's the only thing I could think of. Like, do you remember, um, uh, trying to cross the bridge to the, get the star on top of the snowman's head, and you have to follow the penguin. Yes, that's oh, per- there's there's so many frustrating yes. like stars and parts of levels yes. like that. Yeah, absolutely. No, but you're right. Yeah, At the flame level where you have to take the elevator and then you have to use the um, the poles to jump. You know, and you have to get the right angle. I think of Wet Dry World when you finally do get to the town where you collect the the red coins. Lucy is watching me play this game, and she's like, "What is going on here?" I was like, "Oh yeah, no, 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 that's normal. Don't, don't worry about it." The fact that they designed the wall too close to this platform so that when I jump off, I hit the wall. Oh yeah, yeah. that's normal. Yeah, just accept that. That's, that's just, just this game. <laughs> so just oversights like that, like you want me to jump within the constraints of your, you know, you know, the rules of your 40 yard dash, but you've given me only 30 yards to run with. Like, what are you doing? So stuff like that. Um, and, and that's what makes this game so tedious. Um, I I really, other than that, you know, there's not too many gameplay complaints that I have. The fact that you flew through the air and, and as Mario is really legendary, for yeah. a game of that age, the fact that you came th- like that's fantastic. The shell gliding across the ground at different speeds, the ability to use the shell to hop up angles, like really steep platforms, um, like these are legendary mechanics that really can't be overstated for how groundbreaking they were uh, at the time. And like I said, like they had already done so much groundbreaking that all this extra stuff is just icing on the cake for mm-hmm. like what they were doing with Mario. Like mm-hmm. they took those ideas and just ran with them. Yeah. I would love to see a remake of Mario 64 with Mario Galaxy I or agree. Mario Odyssey graphics. Like come on folks. Um, yeah. Nintendo, I will pay you $80 for a game of of like that. I seriously will replay wow. 64 um paying you as much money as you want to play that game. Um it it would be fantastic, please. But I do at the same time 
see how the um, see how the just the 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 camera you know the camera being a legendary moment for the creation of this game and how groundbreaking that was you have like the option of how many different camera angles i think it's at least four if not more um so it's just good stuff man it's it's all the way around yeah i remember when you first get to the top of the uh, mountain in bob battlefield and you face off against king bob and the camera like zooms way out and now you're just like this little mario running around this big fat boy and that was like so awesome like so cool uh that it was giving you scale in that and they do stuff like that like that and that's that's what this game is it's it's full of so many fun ideas and that's what mario ought to be just chock full of ideas uh but this game did that in a risky in a risky environment in a risky time and they do capture a lot of what had made Mario great before, and they also exemplified what Mario will be in the future in uh, the the variety of their levels and some of the uh, originality of said levels. Uh, I, I think of uh, the uh, Tiny Huge Island, which is a callback to Super Mario Bros. 3, and how they implemented that and jumping in and out and seeing the, the scale go back and forth. Uh, Big Boo's haunt being something that you don't even necessarily see, but you see that Boo run away from you. Um, and so, of course, you're going to chase it because right. it wasn't there before. Right. You go out into this courtyard and you see all these different boos. And if you're not paying attention, you could very well miss that level. But if you notice that there's one when he disappears, there's something else in him, not a coin. Uh, then you go and do that. And all of a sudden you're jumping and disappearing into this like tiny little box. Like such a cool, neat idea. And they do that over and over. Like the paintings themselves, I love jumping in and out of them. That's a classic thing at this point. Uh, very much gives me like painted World of Ariamis vibes. Yes, of, like, it does. Ooh, like yes. I'm, I'm entering this almost like other dimension. That's what I thought know? too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And like you, you get to the point you want to try all of them. And I love that not all of them are levels, right? So like you run and jump and just like smack your face against an actual just regular painting. And then you go and you jump in another one. And there you are in a whole new world. And I remember the shifting sand land uh, because it's a wall, right? It's a just like a basic wall. Doesn't look like a painting. Um, and you don't notice it. Like when you turn that corner down in the basement and you go around, you see just like, you're like, oh, that's a dead end. But if you just continue on and jump towards it, that's a level like that's you're you're jumping as if it were jumping through a painting. And that, that blew my mind as a kid that they did little things like that. Okay. Um, okay. I'm not. Hold up. Go ahead. Go ahead. Hold up. What are you saying? The. <laughs> which part of it are you confused about? There's shifting a, sand land. There's a shifting the, sand you, land in the basement. What? Yes, dude. So you didn't find it. No, of course I didn't find it. <laughs> what are you? See, you trained me this whole game to be looking for paintings. What about? What the heck are you talking about? This game is chock full of secrets, man. You got to be able to to suss those out because there's there's a variety of them. Yeah, there's a whole uh, pyramid level in the basement. If you go, if you're looking at the painting and you turn left and then go down to that dead end, if you just run right into that wall, that's a painting. Um, it's a whole level. Um, and they do that a couple times. Like, did you find Princess Peach's slide? Yeah, I did, but that one seemed obvious to me. Right, and I guess, yeah, because that's just like a, a, it's painted glass. And actually, it's not Peach. My mistake. This was Toadstool. She was Princess Toadstool back then. Um, did you find Tall, Tall Mountain? I did not. Where is that one? So that's that's up 
at that last level when you go upstairs, um, it's a small painting. So it looks like it's supposed to be just like, because there's like several in that area. There's like big ones and small ones. And all the small ones except for that one are fake. But that one's real. And if you jump into it, it's a whole other level. Well, okay, so, Nintendo. I didn't know you were, <laughs> you were a con man on the fly here. Um, I thought it was cool. Did you find TikTok clock? Yeah, well, yeah. I okay, okay. I well, that one is again a little bit more obvious. Um, although annoying that you had to do your either a backflip or a side flip into the, the painting. Um, mm-hmm, yeah. Uh, no, I didn't find these secret hidden worlds. What are you talking about? This is see. This is um, <laughs> this is what's so. It's like, you know, Josh says this phrase to me, and I hate him for it, but I love him for it at the same time, which is like, old game is old, and I should temper my expectations. He says it to me all the time. And, um, you know, I, I still have yet to learn that lesson day after day. What I will say is that despite the obvious secrets that I missed, I was pleasantly surprised with the secrets, like the stars around the castle that I found Mm -hmm. to me, that's ingenious. That's Nintendo going above and beyond because it would be so easy to say, okay, we're going to have a total of eight doors. They're going to be labeled one through eight right here. And then you're going to go through each. And then there's going to be eight stars in each level and yada, 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 yada. No, they said, what's the craziest idea you have? Okay. Well, Mario's going to go down this here. There's going to be a a side door that he's not really sure he can go through. And then he's going to jump down and then he's going to drain the water. And then he's going to do all this. That's great. I love all of that stuff. It's just not surprising to me that I miss some of these surprising, you know, extra hidden levels or whatever else. Um, I guess that makes sense. And it explains some of the YouTube clips I thought I just hadn't gotten to yet. No, sure enough, I'm a <laughs> dummy and I just missed them. Um, did but, you did you find the caps? The caps. So like, there's like outlines of boxes throughout different levels. And if you go and there's like secret... Um, levels that you can go into and unlock different caps for mario so one of them is the flying cap right with the wings on. right 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 so that's one yeah so that one's so you look up into the light for that one um if you drain the water down to the basement and you go out into what used to be the moat there's a hole in the ground over there you can jump into you can get the i think invisible cap there not sure if you did that. And then within one of the levels, the Hazy Maze Cave, which is like the confusing level, uh, there's there's an alternate exit, and it'll take you to another secret level, and you can get the Metal Cap, which is where Metal Mario comes from um, and is fun in his own right. And then those boxes are able to be used in every level, right? Or the ones where right, they have Right, once you hit right. the switch. Exactly, yeah. right. Yes, I did. I Yeah, um... I got, I think all of them except the metal cap, I think. Um, the metal one's the hardest one to, to right, find because it's right, buried right, right. within an, a level as opposed to being in the hub. Right, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't think I got the metal cap. Although, if I remember correctly, I think I used metal once or twice. I don't remember. Maybe, maybe not. Probably not. But um, I will say, like, game design in levels such that, like, there are levels buried within levels and, like, I love the fact that there are stars, like even if you go into a level and you can, you choose a selected star, you can actually find other stars. Um, yeah. That's a, a, a huge thing that I really liked. Um, Very Mario Odyssey in that way. That was something that Mario Odyssey brought back. That yes. I, I loved because the other ga- uh, galaxy and sunshine had not been like that. Yes. And I really enjoyed that. I thought that was fantastic that they, there's, you know, a suggestion, but a flexibility, which is always a, is 
almost the penultimate sign of a great open world, which is in you know a mild storyline to follow when you don't have anything else to do, and basically unlimited freedom outside of that, which is you know Elden Ring, you know a loose structure but but wide open world for you to go explore. Yeah, I love that. I thought this game, it, in that way, this game actually felt new, right? It felt like Odyssey to me to play it that way. I was like, yeah. oh, there's a little hidden star over here. I could go do that instead of the red coins. You know, I'll go do that. Um, so, no, I, I really, there are some things I really enjoyed about the gameplay of this game. And there's some things I was just like, man, oh, man, I do not, I do not want to go back to this at all. Yeah, and especially towards the end. Like, um, just looking at this list of stages here, the last three, you could throw wet-dry in there as well, are, like, those Those always bother me, like, deeply. Like, when I'm trying to play through those, especially when I was 100%ing, I think I 100% of this game and all the other ones in, it was, like, 2019 or 2020, so it was fairly recently, but I was mad playing through this because of just, you know, obviously you have the poor... Uh, controls so you're fighting that the whole time and those levels are so ridiculously hard it's like nintendo's just laughing at you and like haha good luck on this ride buddy around this rainbow like one false step and you're dead yeah sorry like yeah. this is no longer like it's no longer a fun happy world that you're running through like a womp's fortress no you're uh you're, you're on an obstacle course with you know two hands tied behind your back and someone shot your foot so good luck yeah. And that's just, it, it, and it gets so, like, that's like, I, I don't know if you ever get this feeling, but like, your heart just like, hurts with anger, <laughs> just like ever so slightly. And I'm playing this game and just getting so frustrated. And my hands are sweaty and I'm getting mad. It's just not a good thing. Uh, that happens with me in gaming sometimes. My wife knows to just give me a wide berth at that point. <laughs> And stay over by the kitchen or something and not talk to me. Have you ever seen uh, The Notebook? I have not. Okay. No, I don't think I ever will. <laughs> it's a great movie. Lucy and I just watched it last night. We cried together. We held each other and we wept. And uh, it, it was a fa- it's a fantastic movie. But there's a moment in the in late, ga- uh, late game, in late movie, where Ryan Gosling looks at, and this whole movie has been propagated by them being madly physical, like either all over each other or she's hitting him or he's pushing her around. Like they're a physical couple. And it really shows like that era because it's written about a true story of like the great grandparents of like the author's ex-wife's great cramperage or something like that and like that era in which say what again i just didn't realize that yes based on a true story nicholas sparks novel um his ex-wife's great grandparents i think or something like that and essentially there's a a scene towards plenty of iconic scenes some of them ryan gosling ad-libbed some of them rachel mcadams ad-libbed all all this different stuff but there's a scene at the end where he's like what do you want i want to live with you it's going to be hard we're going to fight every day but that's how i know i love you that's how I feel about this game. I literally am Ryan Gosling yelling at Nintendo like, I hate you! <laughs> just, this, just this horrible, like, because it's either zero or 60. Either the star is ridiculously easy, or it's going to take everything that I have not to crack my plastic controller in half mm-hmm. playing this game. Like, there's no in-between, and it's madly frustrating. It's either easy-peasy, super obvious, or it's like, the most annoying long traversal up this massive thing to find and it's just one more star it's not worth any extra it's just one more star and it's maddening absolutely maddening 
Yes, maddening is a great word, especially for those older ones. Now, the early game is, is in my opinion, even to this day, a joy. It's a joy. Like, just joy. running running around. Yes. Yeah. Bob on Battlefield, Womp's Fortress. Yes. Like, fantastic openings to a game. Like, and, and especially just having that open space to just try out Mario, right? Like, you have that at the very beginning, too, which I think is a brilliant move on their part outside the castle. Yes. Before you even go in. Completely agree. run around in that field, and it just has, like... Uh, ambient nature uh, sounds there's no music and uh, mario's doing flips and stuff mario voice for the first time too so like that was cool um you go in of course peach has asked you over for cake and so you don't realize anything's wrong and then when you get in there's something wrong and bowser's voice comes through and uh now you're on the quest to find her in the castle itself and you're wondering what happened and you're wondering if she's in one of, or they say that she's trapped in a painting i think and so you're trying to figure out which painting that might be um and all of that, like, and a lot of this game really harkens back to the games before it. And that's something that I think a lot of people forget. Like, uh, a lot of what Mario is doing here that's special, that's fun, like the secrets, uh, being able to find that secret uh, cube underwater level that's right next to the sunken, sunken ship or whatever. Um, finding stuff like that uh, harkens back to Super Mario World, which was all about the secrets. Uh, which ended up becoming like a thing. Like people for years and years and years would talk about how there were other secrets in Mario 64 that you hadn't found. Um, I remember being told that Yoshi was on the roof. And I was like, nah, no way. Like Yoshi's on the roof of the castle. You can't even get to the roof of the castle. And then turns out, sure enough, if you collect all the stars, you can get up there. And Yoshi's up there. And he just says hi. Like, there's nothing exciting, and you can't ride him or anything. Uh, but that was, like, a real secret. But I also heard that you could be Luigi, and you could unlock Luigi. That's not a real secret. You can't do that. And uh, a lot of people talked about how there was potentially two-player that was supposed to be in there, and, like, you can unlock that, and so on and so forth. Like, there's there's little things like that, that uh, urban legends that came from this, right, pre-internet times, people, like, passing on hearsay and rumors and um, because the game was so chock full of secrets, you could totally see it. Of course, yeah. Um, and then, yeah, and, and and having the uh, the hub world itself was a solution to an over map, overworld map, uh, and it ended up being a fantastic little thing because you're going up and down on the castle, and to this day, very iconic. You know, we we have things that harken back to it, even in Odyssey, um, in Super Mario Galaxy Two, Womp's Fortress is remade uh, because of just how iconic that level is, and you can play through that in Modern Mario. So, Jared, if you want to play Mario sixty four in Modern Mario, you have to get Mario Galaxy Two. <laughs> um, but just like it, it harkens back to the past in all these different ways. Of course, having the characters themselves and the the ingenuity of the levels, and then uh, you didn't have power ups. We had those caps, so there's new stuff going on. Uh, and then uh, capping it all off with the classic Peach versus Bowser. Now, what did you think of the Bowser fights specifically? So, full disclosure, again, I didn't finish the game. So, I, I am I'm at fifty three stars right now. I don't think I'll finish it. I just I don't ugh, I don't love it that much. We've got so many games to it's cover. Fine. Yeah, so I, yeah. I don't think I'll get to it. But the Bowser fights were cr- tremendously underwhelming. Tremendously underwhelming. And additionally, too, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's like playing. If you ever played Dave and Buster's, where you have to try to hit the jackpot as it swings around, all those swirling. You know what I'm saying? Like you have to hit it right yeah, up, yeah, as yeah. the light lights up underneath. You got to smack it real quick. Like it was like playing that. Like, but you're trying to throw Bowser into the spike. So it's like, ugh, it's just a matter of time and playing the lottery a little bit and trying to time that right. Um, so very underwhelming, as opposed to the raw physicality that is, you know, the you know 
Super Mario Galaxy Bowser fight or or um, or Odyssey. You know what I mean? So it's certainly underwhelming. But you know that that's my thoughts on the Bowser fights. As far as okay, you know. But I don't. Is there a more of an emotional impact later on in the game? You tell me, Josh. I. Well, I think the last Bowser fight gives you the epicness that you'd want from the other ones. Okay. Um, and there's ways to cheese it. Like, once you figure out, like, like personally, what I do when I play this game is I get Bowser close to the edge, like, close to one particular bomb, and then I slow spin him. Because you don't have to get him going super fast. Um, you can just toss him just, like, a couple of feet. So... I just did that just and slowly got him closer to the edge, and I just throw him at one of the bombs that I chose. But in the last level, it's much, much harder because he you have to do it three times. He comes back three times, and the level itself begins to break apart around you. And the music in that is, oh, so good. The b- the boss fights themselves, yeah, are, are kind of lame, especially by today's standards. Back then, of course, it was cool or whatever, and uh, Bowser, of course, now looks super bad <laughs> compared to <laughs> even, like, the Mario uh, model, yeah. Toad, like every other character seems like they have a lot better models. Yeah, uh, Mario looks like, or Bowser looks like two tennis balls stuck together. <laughs> so not great. Um, but those fights themselves, yeah, are just you know you just grab his tail and spin around. So like, like how how scary is that actually going to be? But the levels themselves, getting to them, I found fun. Um, they're stressful, but like that's what I liked. Like it's it's like it's like this this tense like the music's going right and you gotta like be careful because you know you're about to face off against bowser i love the very first bowser um how you're running because you you know that peach is stuck in a painting and so you're like running and peach is right there in front of you and you're going towards it like here i come and then it switches to bowser yep. and you fall yep great like great entry yeah. to a bowser fight yeah, and love then that. you're in this intense level yes and i remember as a kid dying over and over and over you know getting shocked smashed zapped dropped you know everything that was going on those levels just even trying to get to bowser and then when i finally got there of course it was kind of frustrating to the spin or whatever but um the levels themselves like going to him is is what i think is is fun i like the culmination of that with each quote-unquote chapter of the game uh, each area of the game uh those three bowser fights to me seemed like great benchmarks to reach and i like when they do that they don't do it too often anymore I do, I will say this, I do wish for some more linearity. And by that I mean, um, I wish that you um, had stringent, more stringent requirements in opening earlier levels on the first floor. Like, I wish you had... um, Okay, okay. Just because I feel like what you learned in the bomb-omb world or the womp world was so crucial to how you're going to play the rest of the game um maybe even introduction to the flyer the fly cap or the metal cap or something like that earlier on just in even just one instance to show you what to expect in the future um might have been helpful It, it just it felt like sometimes I was getting too far ahead of myself and I had to come back and grab some stars in an earlier level or, or go to a hundred stars in an earlier level just to advance, you know, and I almost wish I had, yeah, yeah. but that's it. Just, it really is not even a real complaint. It's just something that I, I kind of wish that they had directed me just a little bit more like, Oh, you're not quite, I know what you mean. You're not quite ready for this one. Yeah. 
I do because in that, especially that first area, you get like one or three stars, and you have access to a bunch of levels already. Exactly. Right. And some of them are way harder. Like the the mountain, the snowy mountain, is like very treacherous compared to Bob on Battlefield and Womp's Fortress, and I think that's a three star. Uh, Jolly Roger Bay is the water level, which is a very annoying and confusing. All the water levels I hate in this game. So, and that's just old video games and water levels in general. Still, still better than Sunshine. Stuff. Sorry, but still better than Sunshine. Okay, yeah, I mean, I could see that for sure. Uh, but like those levels you get into, and you're expecting another Bob on Battlefield, and it's like the difficulty spiked. Yeah. So <laughs> yes, I totally understand right, that. Exactly. Now, did you? Here's a question: Did you throw the baby penguin off the edge? No. No. I don't know how much of the uh, Snowy Mountain you even played through. I did. I if played... you're not like, playing this... All of the first floor and second floor levels, I, I think I beat, I think. Um, okay. Yeah, if, if I remember correctly. I only had a one or two secret stars from the castle, and the rest were levels, um, including red coin levels and, and some 100 coin levels. Um, so uh, I, I was doing my best to try to get to the third floor where I figured I'd find Bowser and then was disappointed when there was more to do. But, um, no, I didn't, I didn't throw him off the edge. In fact, I remember finding the young penguin. I got into that level. I was like, I bet he's right near the finish or the right near the start. And then I just found him real quick and it was easy for some mm-hmm. reason. I don't know what the, the big deal was, but why did you feel like some, some, uh, homicidal <laughs> urge to throw the baby penguin off the edge here? When I was a kid. For, yeah. Oh for my sure. goodness. Kid, like, and, <laughs> That was always something I noticed, though, for real. Like, anytime I had, like, a friend play it or whatever, and I had them in that level, they'd, like, find the penguin. I'd be like, oh, you got to take that down to the to the mommy. And they're like, oh, and they like, go over to the edge and just drop it. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> it's what? like some innate urge, like, oh, I have, like, all this power over this poor, oh, defenseless, my innocent being. Like, I, as a god, condemn you to death. <laughs> Who are your friends, dude? I had a bunch of evil kids i guess i don't know uh but i i just think of that so iconic did you like any of the sliding in the game yeah like the slide levels yeah okay cool i we we were just playing through actually that was one of the levels karina played was the the penguin race and she was freaking out because she thought that it was going way too fast and the penguin was going way too hard <laughs> but i like that mechanic i i do so i actually discovered that if you are to if you are to um cheat if you jump off the edge of the race and land on a lower part of the race and then beat him that way he says you cheated you're disqualified i was yeah. like mm-hmm. what what i figured also, old game is old i could definitely cheat but no yeah there's a cut uh, a shortcut too if you go so as you're going down the slide there's like a wall and you can actually see coins going into the wall and if you follow the coin path it goes into a secret path that takes you straight to the end of the race and I, same thing. Uh, first time I played through, I was like, "Oh yeah, I can just take this shortcut." And I went through there. And then at the end, he said, "No, you cheated. You don't get a star." <laughs> so that's interesting. No, I I always actually appreciated that an extra wrinkle to what they were doing. Uh, I'm assuming you didn't like the the haunt level with the boo. No, you know me. I t- like I said levels. this last Mario episode. I hate I hate boo levels. Hate them. Yeah. And that one particularly sucks in regard to like average haunted mansion levels because it is just super confusing and it takes a long time to get really any star. 
in that world in particular because of just like how many different hoops you have to jump through to get yeah, to them. Yeah, not not so, difficult, just time consuming. Right. For sure. So I, I don't care for that. Now, last thing I want to bring up here, Jared, is the music. What did you think of the Mario sixty four music? The um the the flame level in the basement really stood out to me. Um other than that not too much did um okay okay now that's not to say i mean i think it definitely sets the tone and the vibe but like man i was so frustrated by how difficult it was to platform like (laughs) it is so hard to side flip as mario it's just not a quick flip of the flip of the wrist like you Mm -mm. or flip of the switch you really have to like wait for the cues you have to wait for him to slide and then flip, and it's just frustrating on small platforms. It's so frustrating. I think just because of the anger, the raw, like <laughs> visceral anger that I was feeling throughout this game, that the music didn't stand out too much to me. But I do remember being impressed with that Flame Level's music. I don't know why, it just stood out to me. Um, there's also apparently a remix going around of like Mario 64 music. Uh, with some incredible vocals and stuff, and like a three D re like a three D skin of Mario sixty four that is like gorgeous, and the music is so beautiful. Um, originally, like that that original score for the Bowser level is tremendous, but other than mm-hmm. that, yeah, nothing really just grabs me, you know, like it does in you know Galaxy or Sunshine. I wonder if some of that is just diminished returns because the 64 music is featured in so many other games. Like I think of like the Princess Peach slide music or any of the like race music. It just has like this upbeat, like bomb, 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 right, 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 right. It's like fast paced. That's fun. The classic Mario 64, Bob on Battlefield. Like those are classics to me. Um, I hate the water music levels. I don't know. I think it's just because I hate the water levels themselves. Um, so the water music as well, I don't like. Um, but to me, so much iconic music. But I could totally see what you're saying. Uh, one other thought I was thinking of is when Mario jumps, you have very little control over him in the air. Yeah. So you have to be very careful about how far you jump when you first jump. It's it's not forgiving. Yeah. So if you just push it a little bit too far, you're just going to go right off the edge. And uh, again, like the slopes and what you're allowed to slip, like what if you stop running, uh-huh. you slide on, is horribly unforgiving. You can launch yourself off of a level like very easily um, it, just by accidentally letting the camera. Because if you, like for instance, in Small Big World, there's a bridge up at the top of the mountain that you have to get to. The camera is so wonky. Just in that one spot, it's noticeable. Yeah, it's like you're yeah. trying to run across that bridge and you have to slide. You have to rotate your joystick almost a full 180 degrees to keep him on the path, and he's just going one direction. So um, there's some stuff like that for sure um, that, you know, it just it is what it is. But, yeah, I... Whips you into a rage. Yes. Yes, it does. So, um, but... Um, no, when it when it comes to I I found myself missing the spin uh, movement in Galaxy. You know, you can kind of shake your controller in midair and kind of gain some stability or something like that, um, just to kind of course correct a little bit. Or if you're a little bit late or early for a platform, you can spin and then you know you little saving grace there. So yeah, definitely miss that stuff because trying to 
course correct midair is just like, well, I might as well set my controller down, go get something to eat, calm yeah. down, and we'll come back. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I'm proud of you, man. Honestly, like to wrap this all up, I'm just so proud of you for even pushing as far as you did because this is it's an old game. And you, I mean, is is this the oldest game you've ever played? Have you ever played any game from the 90s? Let me, let me Google. That might be, you might have to rack your brain about that. So um, I won't make the answer right now, but it's not something that people tend to go back to, right? You don't, you don't go back to the, to the nasty old novels of the 1700s because they're just not written well by today's standards. Um, and same thing, trying to go back to some games from the early starts of the industry uh, but I'm proud. I'm proud, man, because because it's not it's not something that uh, very pe- very many people would push through, especially if they were as frustrated and, and upset as as you were. So, great work on that front. Well, great work. If if I could, so I was just googled it. The oldest game I've ever played. If I could be wrong here, I could be wrong. Um, but I think Mario sixty four is the oldest game I've played here. Um, definitely for this podcast, no doubt, no doubt. But um, in general, but I just looked up Ape Escape, which was an old PlayStation game that yeah. I played. That's 1999. Mm. Uh, and yeah, to be frank, right to be frank, Ape Escape is a better platformer slash whatever else than Mario is. Um, it is. And that's and there was a lot of quick development once this yes. hit the scene. Like, that's like what I was about to say. Time, yep. I think... Yep. comes out either the same year or a little bit later. Dude. It's, it's leaps and bounds better than 64. So they very quickly improved on what this concept could have Exactly. Been. They stole from... And, and the Ape Escape was developed in uh, in Japan by, by Sony. So it's like it's not like yeah. it's not like they weren't, you know, related at least, you know, mildly related to Nintendo. So yeah, the development that was spurred on by Mario 64 has brought... You can't have Elden Ring without 64. It's just the truth. Like, that is the the fact of the matter. And, um, it, it, yeah, so th- this game is legendary, no doubt. It was, you know, like Josh said, quickly improved upon um, in, in later 3D games and set the tone for what 3D, you know, in Mario's a sandbox. We actually had this conversation with whether Mario is an open-world RPG <laughs> um, a, several episodes ago. I don't remember how many episodes that was, but that was our default segment yeah. or one of the questions or whatever. Yeah. And um, no, it's more of a sandbox, but the things that they did in this game inspired future generations, future game makers, um, and made, it just opened their minds. It's like something clicked. And then now we have all these tremendous mm-hmm. AAA games. Um, yeah, and here we are. Yeah, here we are. I personally say open level. I like that term. Yeah, there you a go. A little bit better than sandbox. Yep, that's a good so, level. Yep. But that's that's kind of a new development, even in my own terminology. Um, yeah. Actually, technically, I was just thinking, too, I'm sure you've played some arcade games. So, like a Pac-Man. Sure. Or a Donkey Kong. Well, I... You know. Yeah, so. it, it's funny, too. You know what's funny? I played... The first time I ever played Donkey Kong was actually on the OG the OG Animal Crossing. There was a time in the OG Animal Crossing nice. you could get the as a furniture from uh, Nook, you could get playable SNES games. It was so cool. It was a game within a game. Heck yeah, dude. Balloon Fighter, 
Donkey Kong. Dude, I had these in my little house uh, on the second floor of my house in the OG Animal Crossing, dude. Childhood core memory unlocked right now. And it was, it was you could play, you know, I think even Super Mario Bros. was one. Um, and mm-hmm, Probably. Yeah, yeah, dude. It was epic. A game within a game. Just, you know, even just a couple of generations from the SNES. So, yeah, good, good stuff, man. And I think... <laughs> technically those are the oldest games i've played for sure there is um you can go to the like goodwill even and find a little like pac-man box with a little joystick and one button and play like old arcade games you can go to mm. you know dave and busters or whatever else and and play old arcade games so yeah, technically i'm sure it's not the oldest game i've ever played but for this podcast and for like playing the game in its true form because as far as i know the nintendo switch really they didn't change anything right not much like they did brush up a little bit on like the frames per second and i think they obviously transitioned it to hd on some small level right right right, right. Uh, but otherwise nope they didn't touch anything. yeah just left it the core so yeah this game would be it my friend and I, even even with my complaints and my gripes i do you know what I'm eternally grateful for the games that you've introduced into my life, despite despite taking years off my lifespan with frustration. <laughs> I am grateful. Oh man! All right, last question before we ask the the ultimate: um, Do you find Mario sexy in this game? Well, no, because he's wearing the wrong freaking shoes. If he was like, <laughs> you're so focused. If on the he shoes. was, if he, <laughs> if he was plumber to the max and he had like a wrench that he brought out occasionally i'd be like this man knows what's up but no he's just trying to he's just trying he's a novelty in the mushroom kingdom he doesn't actually do anything functional for their for their sewage system and he brings tap dancing shoes to adventures where he needs to rescue a damsel it's a problem so that's no i don't find him sexy what kind of a question is that <laughs> That chunky booty didn't ever, like, stir any primal instinct within you? Maybe in high definition. We're talking Odyssey. I was like, ooh, new Donk City. How about new Bonk City? But no, definitely not in (laughs) Mario 64. He's too pixelated. His whole two cheeks are two pixels. So what are we talking about? It's Yeah. I don't know why they gave him a booty in this game. (laughs) (laughs) But they kind of did. All right. Well, the question then becomes, is Mario 64 in the Hall of Games? Of course. Of course. Yeah. I, I, it's If we didn't, I think that would be what put us on the map, and it would be very quickly before we died, uh, because the mobs of angry gamers would come quickly for our, our lives. So, uh, yes, I do say mm-hmm. so as well. Mario 64, you cannot understate how impactful it has been on the games industry, so... Kachunk, yes, it is in the Hall of Games as well. It takes, to what you said earlier, it takes legions of happy, stable fans to create a business out of a podcast, but it takes one unhappy fan to dox you and ruin your whole life. So, yes. Very, yes, yes very true. <clears throat> um, it's it's scary to think that in the time of the internet, like if someone really, really wanted to, they could probably find me and anyone else that I knew and go and take them out. It, like if they really focused on it. Listen, like I, I'm pretty sure you could just hunt that information down. Just to be, just to be a little freaky here, just for a second, if I could. Uh, do you know how uh, how easy it is to stalk someone? Genuinely, 
When was the last time? I, not from experience. But when was the last? Well, just think. I was thinking about this as I drove the other day. I was like, when was the last time I checked my rear view mirror for someone following me? Right. Like no one thinks about it no. because we're like no. 100%. Everyone deep down is like, I'm not important enough for the FBI to follow me <laughs> or the CIA, CIA to be interested in what I'm saying online. But like, come on, man. Like it happens in China. When was the last yeah, time you really checked does. behind you for someone following you? It's like it just doesn't. It would be too easy, man. So, and I've already I mentioned in our last uh, our last episode about uh, Mario Kart. I was like, where I worked, I was like, oh man, I need to I need to fix that. I really don't need to be giving out so much personal information. So, yeah, no, I I agree. And and you often feel like you're sneakier than other people. Like you feel like you can get away with right. things than other people. But right when you're also looking at other people, you're seeing them do stuff and you're observing and you're picking up on things that you can tell they're trying to be sneaky with. So like that's very much happening to you as well. You know, um, you learn that when you're married, you learn that very quickly. Oh dear. Oh dear. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) let's go ahead and wrap up this podcast. Thank you for taking the time to listen. I hope you agree with our decision. If you don't tell us why be sure to tell a friend about the podcast, drop us a five star review Check out our past episodes for more backlog, in-depth conversations, including the other 3D Mario games. The only one we haven't touched is Mario Galaxy 2. Thank you guys for taking this time here. Until next time, which will hopefully be here soon, this is the Video Game Bard, signing off. Mm-hmm.